Inomine Cinema e TV e Spiritus Streaming. Amen. Hollywood faithful, welcome back to another episode of the Hollywood Confessional. I'm your podcast priest, Megan Dane. And I'm J.R. Zamora Thal. If you haven't done it yet, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Follow us at Fess Up Hollywood on Twitter and Instagram. And, oh, geez, I'm wearing myself out just talking about this stuff. What? No, you're way too young and vibrant to be tired. I, on the other hand, basically have one foot in the grave. So I have total <laughs> license to be exhausted right now. Okay, but it's the good kind of exhausted, right? Megan and I just wrapped a writer's room on a show that we're both really excited to be a part of. I'm not sure if we can discuss it. I actually don't know either. There was like an announcement a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was before. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe it's still top secret. (laughs) It could be a friendie situation, but I don't know (laughs) if all of our listeners are friends. So we'll share more about it as soon as we can. But the thing I wanted to bring up is that even though I've been working crazy hours during that show, doing this podcast, oh, and I also produce another podcast, it's all good because we're doing stuff that we love. Right. And working with people we love. That's the magic. I feel like there are two big keys to finding happiness in Hollywood, knowing what you want to do and finding the right people to do it with. And that's kind of the journey on both our confessions today. Right. Even though they both had very different experiences in completely different departments, they both shared this same path. I'm going with the confession resting smile face today. It's the story of someone who knew what they wanted, but felt like they had to put on a happy face and do what everybody else wanted instead. Still one of my all-time favorite titles. My confessional of choice, The Method. This is an insane story of what one actor experienced as a result of getting in the wrong crowd. Oh yeah, that one's so intense. You ready to get into it? Let's step into the confessional booth. Forgive me, Father, for I was a pushover who got suckered into cleaning stripper makeup from some seriously nasty places. I can't wait to hear how this one started. It was a few years ago. I was living in New York, working as a production assistant on a much-beloved-by-me TV show. I really enjoyed that job, but then it ended, and I couldn't find another one. I ended up taking a position at a graphic arts company that sort of, like, duped me. I was supposed to be an assistant to a producer, and the day before, they're like, well, our receptionist just quit. Can you take that job instead? Oh, the old bait-and-switch. I was miserable at that job. I wanted to quit, but I needed money to live. One day, my family was visiting, and we were in the bottom of Manhattan just walking around, and a bird pooped on me. (laughs) (laughs) No. I was so mad. But then, like, half an hour later, my old boss from the show I loved, this guy who I really adored, he called me out of the blue and was like, hey, we're starting a new show. We need a PA. Are you interested? I was like, thanks be to God. I worked on that show for almost a year. I met a lot of great people. They had, I think, 25 different directors who came on, and I connected with a lot of them. The writers were all great. My job was great. I liked the pace. I loved the whole production office. But there was one department that I was not related to at all that constantly asked for favors. The makeup department. Oh boy, this is going to be juicy. 
They didn't have a PA, and so they would come up, and I would end up doing all of their makeup orders, and sometimes even picking up their orders. They were using you as their department's PA when you were like a general PA? Correct. And nobody stopped them. Nobody ever said to me, like, you shouldn't be doing this. So, you know, it's not that I didn't know better. It was just like, that was my first big job. And I'm such a people pleaser that I was just like, sure, I can do it. There's two other PAs. We already built all the IKEA furniture. I was helping all the directors get their Wi-Fi shit set up and showing them where everything was, being the welcome wagon. You know, like, what else do I have to fucking do? I was also the only girl of all the PAs. And in my experience, it was like, oh, she's a girl. She'll be nice. She'll do this, you know? So they always went straight for me. Mm-hmm. I have a resting smile face. I've learned this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't anymore, but I used to have it. I made it go away. But I learned at some point that resting smile face makes people want to talk to you and have you do things for them. <laughs> I used to have that face. It's sort of melted down my neck by now. <laughs> So what were you looking to get out of this job? It was an office PA job. I had graduated not too long before, and I didn't go to Tisch or Stern. I went to which is the choose-your-own-major school. I got a degree in business and TV production because I thought I wanted to be a producer. I actually wanted to be a writer, but I was so afraid of that idea that I was like, business is easier. So it wasn't about getting what I wanted out of that office job. This was about getting what I could. Because to me, I had zero options. And I think that's the hardest part about joining this industry. You feel like if you know somebody, then you have a few more options. If you know no one, you take what you can and you work with what you get. I'm thinking a lot of our listeners can identify with that. And I wanted so much for myself. And I always felt like I was 10 feet from stardom because I was right next to the writer's room. And that just was not possible for me. I could not get that job. I was someone else. I was... Someone who was going to be sidelined because I didn't know anybody. I knew what I was capable of, but I just figured I wasn't capable of much if I couldn't be anything more than an office PA. And I feel like I wasted a lot of time not believing in myself. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can identify with that too. Hell, I can. There's so much competition in every corner of this industry that you start to feel like you don't matter. Absolutely. And that whole thing about being a people pleaser... I think that's where that need comes from. When you feel like you don't matter as an individual, you get the idea that the only value that you have is being able to do things for somebody else and make their life easier. 100%. I didn't know how to dig myself out of the hole of that feeling. Because if you're just pleasing people and nobody does anything about it and there's no metric to live up to, then you're not really helping yourself at all. You're not pushing anything forward because you're not asking anything of yourself. And I think that's just in life. That's the hardest thing that people need to learn, that we all struggle with. The ability to say, I deserve this. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. There's plenty of people who think they deserve everything and take it a lot farther, it seems, than people who (laughs) don't think they deserve anything. Life is unfair that way. I feel bad every day when I think I deserve something more than someone else because I, I do believe that all humans are equal. So it's like, I have to tell myself, no, I actually deserve a place at the table. I matter just by being here. Yes, yes, you do. I did not have the mental power to say that at the time. I sort of thought that by being the nice, good, helpful person, that would take me where I wanted to be. But I learned pretty quickly that wasn't true. 
Most shows in LA, from what I can tell, the set is on one side of town, the production office is on the other. Everything is sort of scattered. But in New York City, the way the stages are set up, you can do everything in one place. So we had the writer's room next to the production office, the costume and makeup department and hair department were downstairs, post was in another place, music was in another. The sets were a five-minute walk away. It was a one-stop shop. And in addition to all the departments being in one place, the actors had actual dressing rooms. They weren't on trucks like they are a lot of times. They were actual rooms with showers and big mirrors and a little closet. Wow, so civilized. I would never, ever say New York is better than L.A., (laughs) but that sounds kind of nice. I set up all those dressing rooms personally, among the other things that I did. Then later, once the show was up and running, the makeup department came to me one day and said, hey, we have a scene where somebody is doing a pole dance and we need leg makeup. What the hell is (laughs) leg makeup? You gotta explain that one for the kids listening at home. I think the world would be a better place if everyone wore leg makeup. (laughs) Because it works. (laughs) I got it at Rite Aid, if you're interested. But at first, I had never heard of it. So when they said, we need leg makeup, I was like, is that a real thing? And they said, yes, it's a real thing, and it helps with the pole dancing. Maybe leg makeup exists for the function of pole dancing. Totally makes sense. I've always wondered how they cut down the friction. Well, I learned a secret about pole dancing, which is that it's not that you swing around the pole. The pole itself moves. What? Oh my God. If only I'd known years ago, I wasted so much time working in a strip club as a waitress because I couldn't figure out the pole. (laughs) You could have made a lot more money. And invested in Facebook and be like a fucking millionaire paying people to do this podcast. You know, it was actually a pretty nice place to work, that strip club. A lot better environment than some of the industry jobs I've had. We'll have to have that conversation someday. The jobs we work that aren't actually Hollywood jobs. Right, when you're trying to work your way in and earn money so you have time to do the free gigs before you get that big paid job as a PA and have to buy leg makeup. Baby steps, I guess? So I went to the store. It was just like a random Rite Aid. It came in different colors and said on the bottle specifically leg makeup, which (laughs) was like mind blowing. (laughs) You know, I don't need drugs. Real life is crazy enough. (laughs) So I bought it and they were very appreciative. And then about a week after I bought it, I got another phone call. Now, we had a maintenance department and I don't know what compelled me to not reach out to them directly because I'm stupid or I'm such a people pleaser, but the makeup department called me and they were like, Hey, we need you down in the dressing room. They didn't tell me what they were about to ask me to do, which of course, when anyone asks you to do something shitty, they're not going to tell you about it before they corner you. So I get down there and they were like, yo, you know, the actress who I didn't like as much after that, you know, she took off all the makeup. But it's all caked on the bottom of the shower. And that's maybe why I don't like the actress. Because I'm like, what she must have done was gotten out of the shower and been like, it's everywhere. Can someone come take care of this? I'm leaving now to go to my million dollar home. (laughs) (laughs) So she wasn't there, but they said, can you clean it up? Why? Couldn't they clean it? I don't know. Good question. So I got on my hands and knees and I fucking cleaned it up. And were there pubes in there? Yes, there were. (laughs) Oh, God. God. (laughs) That's the part I remember the most. Oh, man. So at any point in this process, did it enter your mind that you could have said no? Or like what might happen if you did say no? No. And I kind of believe that's what grooming is. It 
never occurred to me for one second that I could be like, have somebody else do this. Here's the thing. If I was a professional maintenance person or maid or that was my job, then it's equally as crappy. And I don't want to say that those people don't deserve respect and consideration for what they have to do because it gave me a lot more respect for them. There's always a lesson to be learned if you want to find one. And that was the lesson for me. I mean, I always try to be conscientious of other people, but especially after experiences like those where you have to clean up hand and foot for other people, you learn to leave it better than you found it. So I did that and left. (laughs) And then like a week or two later, they called me again and said somebody had taken an entire industrial-sized roll of toilet paper and gotten it stuck in the toilet. And they were like, Can you get it? Fuck. (laughs) And I was like, why can't you? Why can't the person who did it? Why does it have to be me? Why are you calling me? They said, we're busy. (laughs) Or some shit like that. And once again, I just did it. But as I was heading down, I luckily saw one of the actual maintenance people. And I was like, hey, person who actually gets paid to do this, probably more per hour than I do. There's an issue in the toilet. Can somebody take care of it? And he did it. And then I went back upstairs and that was the end of that. But I just felt like, do I seem like such a pushover to you that I will just do anything? And the answer is yes. Yes, I do. I do look like a pushover. I've been a pushover my whole adult life. I've always felt like there was nobody I could ask for help. Nobody would tell me not to do it. Nobody would tell me it was not my job. Everybody would pass the buck. So therefore, I had no advocate except myself. So the lesson I learned was when people ask me to do stuff, I take a pause and I think about it. I think, is it absolutely my job to do this? Why is someone asking me to do it? And it's terrifying for me to question these things, but this is what happens when you don't. People push you around. Some people take that as, Well, because of that, I'm going to fuck everybody along the way because nobody helps me and fuck all of them. But what I try and do is say, wow, nobody helps me. Maybe it's my job to help other people so everybody can feel better about themselves. Start this job with appreciation and love and pass it around to everybody else in their workspace. And maybe with that, we can have a better work environment. That's the one little thing I can do. Oh, I love that. Like you said, there's always a lesson to be learned if you want to find one. And that's a good one for us all. Go create in peace, my child. Forgive me, Father, for I went through an acting class hell that almost ended my career before it started. How old were you when this story takes place? I was 22 at the time. I was living alone. I lived in a cute little apartment in Boca, working serving jobs and doing whatever I could to save up to move to LA. I think I'd taken maybe one acting class before this in I wanted to take another one, so I just googled it, and I found one with a very interesting website. There was absolutely no detail. It was just a picture and a phone number and a name. I remember trying to find it for the first time. It was very hard to find. I had to go into this building, down the stairs, and way down the hallway, turning down different corridors and things. It was very hidden. What were you feeling at the time? Were you, like, kind of thinking this wasn't what you hoped it would be, or did it seem exciting? I was nervous, and I was excited. 
I just assumed it was going to be a really good class because of the area that was in. It was a nicer area. Then I met the teacher. And he very much portrayed himself as somebody who was very successful and knew a lot of things. He seemed like somebody you'd want to take a class with, somebody sought after. His name was He seemed very nice, but also stern and strong and everything. We sat in this dark theater room and he asked me some questions. Questions about me and my experience, and we discussed payment and all those things. And then that was it. Somehow, I was in the class. This was a Meisner class. The Meisner technique is based on truth and reaction. You basically stand on a stage with a partner, and you are observing that person, and that person is observing you. You start finding out something about the other person, and you say it out loud, and they repeat the exact thing back to you, and it just goes from there. You just repeat back and forth what you're saying. It's supposed to eventually change into your natural reactions and things that you're observing about the other person. So for me, this was interesting because I had only ever done, like, theater in high school. Nothing like this before. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how to either do a good job or a bad job with this class. I remember my very first class. The teacher had a handful of students that had been there for, like, four or five years at least. They were really dedicated. They were always there. He had two of them start. It was a lot of repeating back and forth, and somehow it would turn into this, like, thing. Almost like a scene, but with just them repeating. Like, you have blue eyes, and I have blue eyes. You know, it would repeat over and over, but eventually it would turn into emotions, and they would start targeting what your emotions were. I thought it was interesting at first, but then when I had to go up, I got very nervous. I've always struggled with stage fright. That's something I've had to work on in my acting career. The teacher assigned me a partner, someone who had been in class for a while, and I was constantly called out for being fake or not real. They were pointing out my body language. It felt like I was being attacked. But then I thought, this must be normal. He knows what he's doing. Maybe this is just how these classes are. And that is how they went. I'd go up with a partner. It would start off very tame with the basics, and then all of a sudden it would turn into you're hiding, or you're afraid, or you're faking. And I'd have to repeat this in front of the entire class. I'm hiding, I'm afraid, faking. Did you see that happening to anybody else, or was it just you? It was any of the new students who struggled with being shy or just not really understanding what he needed from us. Two of the students I tried to get close to in class because they had been there for a long time and I was trying to fit in and understand. They would have long talks with me and they would tell me, You need to open up more. This is just part of the process. And everyone really did seem to think it was normal. And for those of us who would end in tears, not because we weren't into the scene, but because we were being bullied, nobody said anything. I think we just believed that's how it was supposed to be done. I took this class for about eight months, and once I'd gotten to about month six, it had become anxiety-inducing. I was afraid to go to class. I'd always leave humiliated because it was like somehow these people knew who to target. I remember this one guy who'd been there for years. He went up with this younger girl. She was probably 18 or 19, and it was like watching a high school bully. He just started berating her, telling her she's a victim and she's afraid and she's not being real and just yelling it over and over again. And she's supposed to repeat it, but she's crying. And I never once thought she wasn't being real or genuine. Those are genuine tears. But nobody said anything.
I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I've never seen one of these classes. Can we do a pretend thing and you show me how it gets from you have blue eyes to someone screaming in your face? Okay, you can start and then I'll go. Okay, you have blue eyes. I have blue eyes. Now what do I say? Now you could say you're smiling. Okay, you're smiling. And then I would say I am smiling. And the inflection of how I respond is how things change. So if anything in my body language changed, or if my face changed, or if I said something without confidence, like, uh, I'm smiling, then you'd come back at me with, you're scared. You're scared. I'm scared. You're nervous right now. I am nervous right now. I already feel like total shit doing this. (laughs) Yeah, this is extremely uncomfortable. But it would go on. Like, they would say, yes, you're nervous right now, and then I would say it again, and then somehow it would change from that to, you're not being real, and then I have to repeat it, I'm not being real, and then go, you're playing with me, I'm playing with you. You you know, it turns so quickly into this, like, fight. It seems like a total mindfuck. Like, it's set up to enable or elevate people who have a bullying personality. It was definitely like that in this class. And in my mind, all I wanted was to be an actor. I hadn't moved to L.A. I didn't know what classes were truly like. So I was just like, well, it's got to be like this or it can't be worse than this. So I might as well just suck it up and try to learn. But then it started becoming about my appearance as well, which is really hard for me. I remember this one guy. I've always been very insecure about my own. And this guy said, you have very And then I had to repeat it out loud. Oh my god. I was like, wait, why is my body the object of the class? It was like any movement or facial expression or even the tone of my voice was a way for them to start tearing me apart. Why do you think you felt so strongly that this was the right path for you? The teacher was constantly mentioning he was also a director in Seattle, and the students that had been there for years just raved about him and how brilliant he was. He was directing them in films, so I kind of thought, well, if I just stick this out and crack the code, maybe it'll lead to some opportunities. I'm not a quitter. Once I start something, I try to finish the best that I can, and that's something too. In this class, once we were done with whatever this so-called scene was, he would give us notes and never got anything positive. Most of the time it was just like, you're not doing enough or you're hiding. And I was like, I'm terrified. I don't know how to excel and be your star student like these other people who are picking me apart. Did you ever get to be on the other side? A few times. He would set me up with some newer people, and that was also confusing because I'm like, I don't want to behave like these other people. I don't want to bully someone. So what does he want from me? Were you ever in control of the scene with a student that had been there longer than you? Absolutely not. No. The only time I gained control over the scene was the very last class that I had. And that's where everything took a turn for the worse. It was my last class, right before I was about to pack up and move to LA, and I was very ready to be out of this class. It was causing me so much stress. And so finally, my last class, I was very excited. I was paired with this guy. His name is He was a big star. He had like a million followers. He walked around with so much confidence. You know, he kind of dressed like James Dean, hair slicked back. He wasn't actually paying for the class or consistently taking it. He would just show up whenever he wanted. So when our last class was going on and I got paired with him, I was excited because in my eyes, he was really good. This is also the man who commented on my a few months before this, so I should have known better. 
but I'm very trusting and I thought it's going to be okay. It started off okay. He was flirting with me a bit. Everything was fine. I was thinking this is going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, as we're repeating back and forth to each other, he strikes me with an open hand across my chest as hard as he can. What? I just stood there. Feeling this in my body, I paused, I froze. It took me a minute to process and let it download into my brain that he had truly just done that in front of a class full of people and a teacher. Nobody said anything. So my brain finally went, okay, you're alone in this. You have to defend yourself because no one else is going to help you. And so I pushed him up against the wall and I started yelling at him. But then he started yelling at me, repeating back to me like we were still doing the work. And I don't know why, but I started doing the same thing because I didn't want to be a quitter. It was my last class. So I said, you know what? I don't know why. I should just walk straight out. But I ended up basically hashing it out with him in front of the class, repeating back and forth to each other. But I was yelling at him. I pushed him up against the wall. And once the dust had settled and we had stopped arguing, the teacher stood up and he looked right at me and he said... Well, it's unfortunate that it had to happen, but at least it got a reaction out of you. Oh my God. I mean, this is like so much more fucked up than uh, I am literally speechless. I remember being silent. I think I nodded my head. I think I was crying at this point, but it hurt. I was like, wow, I am that bad that somebody had to hit me for me to have a response. I remember going back to sit in the audience and people were looking at me and asking me if I was okay. So a couple of people checked in, but there were absolutely zero repercussions for this man. Absolutely none. Nobody said anything to hit. Nobody called him out. And it was just like, how is this possible? How is that allowed to happen in front of an entire room full of people? Once I left the class, he tried to talk to me for like half an hour and explain why he did it. And I was so beaten down at this point that I just felt like I was in the wrong for everything. So I fully accepted his apology and just went home and moved forward and acted like it never happened. How did you find a way to move on? It was terrifying. I had all these fears, but in my mind I'm like, well, I already planned to move to LA. I left my apartment, started packing my stuff. In my mind, I was as bad as that experience was if I didn't give it my best shot. I knew. If I didn't move down to LA and try for my dream, I was going to regret it for the rest of my life. I'd wanted to move to LA since I was young, but I was always terrified and doubting myself, so I never really pushed for it, and so finally I was like, you know what? Life goes by really fast. I'm not getting any younger. I might as well just go now. And you did it. I did. I came to LA, and believe it or not, I found another class. I actually had to audition to get into this one. I couldn't just walk down a dark hallway and say, I want to do this. I remember being so nervous for the first audition. At this point, I still hadn't auditioned for pretty much anything, and I'd gotten a lot of judgment before I moved here. People were like, why are you doing this? You can't move to LA. You're not ready. I had so many people telling me it was a terrible idea, that I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm like, look, you're not wrong. I don't know what I'm doing, but I wanted to do what I felt in my gut I needed to do. So I went to the studio and sat down for the audition. I was so shaky and so nervous, and I couldn't get the words out right, and I thought, this is it. I messed up, but immediately the teacher just goes, okay, let me help you. And she did. That's incredible. You have so much strength. It's hard, I'm not gonna lie. 
It's very hard to live here. And I've had many ups and downs, but I guess the thing that's really important for me is I feel like I have a purpose here. I never felt like I had purpose in life and sh I felt like I was not going to end up anywhere if I stayed there. And so at least living here, it's like, okay, you can get something out of life that you really want. And that's important. That's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Go create in peace, my child. Okay, first, I want to give a shout out to all actors anywhere who have gone through an experience like that. I've been in the industry for a long time, and I even did some acting when I was younger. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but this story completely floored me. What a mind fuck. You know, I dabbled as well. And after that story, I'm so glad I got out. It's like I was saying earlier, the more time I spend in Hollywood, the more I realize how important it is to know what you want and to fight for it. Because if you're not sure, people are going to push you into what they want. Right. And we don't want to be like, you have to know every step of your career and never compromise because like we're creative people. We need room to explore. But there is a big difference between exploring and being pushed around. And what makes that difference to me is the people that you're creating with. Which leads me back to the show we just finished, which was an incredibly positive environment. Super cool people from the PAs all the way up to the showrunner, Ben Watkins. Absolutely. And that's who our shout out is for today. Showrunner, writer, producer, and our boss, Ben Watkins, who does so damn much to make Hollywood a happier place. But don't take our word for it. Take the word of Ben's assistant, Kelly Hagan. Today, I'm shouting out my boss, Ben Watkins, who's a showrunner and executive producer at Blue Monday Productions. Awesome, awesome. Tell us all about Ben and what makes him so great. So I actually met him in a bit of an unorthodox way. I cold emailed him. And I was like, hey, I'm in the industry. I have some experience. Do you have any like lower level writing positions, writer's PA or showrunner's assistant, anything like that? And he didn't at the time. But what I started doing, because I, I did this with a few showrunners, actually, I would ask their assistant if they'd be down to get drinks just to start building that connection and start keeping in touch. That is super smart of you. <laughs> and thankfully, Ben's actually, like, I know this even working for him now. He's super open to, like, people reaching out. I think a lot more than most. So so I did that. I got drinks with his assistant at the time um, and didn't totally blow it. And so I stayed in contact from that point on. And that happened in the summer of 2019. Then in uh, February of 2020, they reached out with a show and they said, we have a few positions and do you want to interview? So I did. I, that was the first time I actually interviewed with Ben. Um, and although I didn't get the position, he was actually super kind and super great. He called me on the phone to tell me like, hey, we decided to go with somebody else, but just wanted to let you know, like you impressed us. I definitely want to work with you in the future. He even went so far as to offer, like if I wanted after work to come shadow the room, but that was in February, 2020. So we all know what happened in March of 2020. Oh, man. So that, that, little, yeah, that little shadow portion, unfortunately, didn't happen. But I did stay in contact. And then come August of 2020, they once again had a position open that, you know, then he offered me. So it was cool because he was like, first of all, he reached out, you know, and took it to that personal level of, you know, sorry, you didn't get it, but we do want to work with you. And he also stayed true on that. So that's, I think, to segue into what makes him great he really does keep his word on that and it's sort of a great example on how much of a mentor he actually is I think so many people 
in the industry want to and strive to be a mentor, but then really, really follow through on that. Um, not just to me, but to so many other people. Like she has an incredibly busy schedule and he always is trying to make time to help people, whether it's to get on the call with them and give them advice to help see them through to, you know, read the material when we have time and give them feedback. He really follows through on that. And for me, something that has always stood out, he's the first showrunner I've worked for, so I don't have a comparison, but I think I kind of just can inference. For me, the job has never just been assistant. Like, I'm not just there to constantly schedule meetings. He genuinely has always let me, like, read the stuff as it's in progress, give notes that actually make it in there and make a difference that I'm actually listened to. That, I think, is incredibly invaluable in a boss, um, especially at that assistant level to feel like you're actually contributing and growing. So he's just incredible more than like words can say for that. And truly is like the best boss I've ever had. Does he have some kind of like formal mentorship thing in place? Or is it just like people that he meets or that reach out to him and he kind of informally keeps up with everyone? There's a lot of different ways that then mentors some of it is that more casual way some of it is he does a lot of panels so sometimes people will reach out to him and they'll kind of form networks through that in terms of specifics now we do have our blue monday production breakthrough artist program which seeks to foster the careers of different mentees that we bring in we have a mentee on for three months at a time as part of this kind of intensive program it, it is paid which I think we can all respect. I think that people who want to be writers or producers benefit most from it, but then is happy to tailor it to whatever that particular person would want to be. And we do definitely try to have an emphasis on diversity with that and really try to lift up voices that don't always have that opportunity or just give opportunities to people that are trying to break in and have a lot of potential, but maybe haven't had that opportunity yet. That's amazing. And and I know Ben is doing so much in the industry, like you said, with mentorship and, you know, just making the industry a better place. I understand he does some philanthropy outside the industry, too. He does. So he is a co-founder of an organization called Sea Change, which stands for, it's an acronym for Sweat Equity Alliance, Sea Change, that is based in El Segundo. It focuses a lot on, on diversity and inclusion, especially in the community of El Segundo, but just beyond. So t- he takes a huge part in that. Yeah, I mean, Ben definitely deserves a shout out. Thank you so much, Kelly, for giving us this uh, this information and telling us all about it. And um, thank you to Ben for doing everything you do to make Hollywood a happier place. That's all we've got for you today, listeners. Thank you again for joining us. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend and hit us up. Confess your deepest, darkest Hollywood secrets or give someone a shout out at Fess Up Hollywood. We'll be back in two weeks with more juicy confessions. Catch you next time. The Hollywood Confessional is produced by Megan Dane and J.R. Zamora Thal. Our cast for this episode, Troy Lofton, Claire Gruber, Austin Windham, Jake Fiedler, and Kayla Ferkenstad. Special effects provided by Zapsplat and Pixabay. Hollywood Confessional is a Ninth Way Media production. Follow us on socials at Fess Up Hollywood. <laughs>